Once again, I'm going to do this every week. I just want to really emphasize that truth was restored in the order of its importance. And what came first was most important. What we got first in the first vision is we know who God is. We know who we worship. And knowing that is how we really gain salvation. Jesus prayed in the great intercessory prayer. Um, this is life eternal that they might know thee, the only true God and and him, there we go. So this is life eternal that they might know thee. We know who we worship. So the first vision, help us understand who Heavenly Father is, who the Savior is, what their purposes are. Next came the Book of Mormon. One of the chief ways we know who God is is because of the scriptures that was restored in the Book of Mormon. The Book of Mormon gives credibility to the restoration. It's something that we can hand people. You go study this. You cannot just dismiss it. You have to examine it as this is a legitimate claim. While they were translating the Book of Mormon, it spoke about baptism. So they go out to the banks of the Susquehanna River and priesthood is restored. Now at that time it was ironic. Later comes the Melchizedek priesthood. But there's our third foundation. The third foundation of the restoration is an understanding about how priesthood ties me to you, ties me to God. How does priesthood function? We spent last week talking about priesthood in the home. What does that look like? You do not have to hold an office in the priesthood in order to exercise priesthood in the home. And I love, C.S. Lewis said it this way, we can measure the importance of something by its lifespan. How long will the quorums of the priesthood exist? How long will someone be in a quorum or a member or hold an office in the priesthood versus how long will the home exist? How long will Russell Nelson be president of the church, the senior ranking apostle, versus how long will he be father, husband? Therefore, we need to understand that priesthood is building the most important unit in the church, and that is the home. And how priesthood functions in the home is very different than how priesthood functions in the church. But today we are going to take a look at how priesthood functions in the church. And I hope by the time you walk out that door, you understand that male or female, office holder or not, you exercise authority and can access power in the priesthood. You do not need to hold an office to exercise authority in the priesthood and power in the priesthood. And I would suggest to you that all of us are living below our privileges. So I remind you that when Russell Nelson became the president of the church at his very first general conference at the, what we call the solemn, the solemn assembly, where he was sustained as president of the church in his very first general conference talk. He spoke first about just some changes. He would stand up and talk about some of the changes that we were going to put in place. But his very first address as president of the church was given in priesthood session. This is the first time he puts on the mantle of the president of the church. And the first thing he says after thanking his predecessor, Thomas S. Monson, he said, may I voice a concern? The first concern is that too many of our brothers and sisters do not fully understand the concept of priesthood power 
and priesthood authority. Those two words are gonna be key today. That far too many people don't understand priesthood authority and priesthood power. And because of that, we do not grasp the privileges that could be ours. I want you to walk out that door wanting to claim the privileges that are yours in the priesthood. Now, I'm going to do this again. I know we did this last week, but I just feel compelled. Every time we talk about a hierarchy, hey, Madison, every time we talk about a hierarchy, it makes people nervous, right? As soon as you start talking about a hierarchy, the world seems to interpret that as the higher you go, the more important you are. And we have a natural fear of anything that's in a hierarchical structure because so many of us have been abused by the power. In the Lord's system, he, may, he very clearly has said, it's not so in my system. Let's read this. If you want to mark it, and I would encourage any one of you who are ever going to hold an office in the priesthood or a key in the priesthood to make sure that this scripture is always on your mind. It's in Matthew chapter 20, verse 25 through 28. I memorized this as a missionary because I never wanted to ever forget this. Matthew chapter 20, verses 25 through 28. Now tell me how Jesus clearly expects his hierarchy to function. But Jesus called them unto him and said, you know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over people. Now at that time, Caesar sat on the top of that hierarchy, right? And everyone bowed to Caesar. And the Gentiles exercise dominion over them. And they that are great exercise authority upon them. But it shall not be so among you. Whosoever will be great, and I would interpret great as the higher you go on this hierarchy, the higher you go, the more of a minister you need to be. That's the Lord's system. Whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your, your servant. Now, who is the ultimate example? Who's at the top of the Lord's hierarchy? He is. And he says, even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, he came to minister. And that's the example in the Lord's system. The higher you go on the Lord's hierarchy, the more of a minister you need to become. I want to throw one more verse up here. In the Doctrine and Covenants, he says very early in the Restoration, and I love how he worded it here. Section 12, verse 8. Section 12, verse 8. No one can assist in this work except he shall be humble and full of love. So doesn't it conform? Doesn't it suggest then that in the Lord's hierarchy, the higher you go, what does he seem to say? Can you connect these dots with me? The higher you go in the Lord's hierarchy, the more humble and full of love you need to be. Anyone who violates that doesn't belong in the hierarchy. And I know there are some. 
And I know you've experienced some. But the Lord's expectation is in His system, the higher you go, the more humble you need to be, the more of a servant you need to be, and the more full of love you need to be. That is my plea to anyone that's in the hierarchy. So let's talk about the hierarchy. The very fact that it's a hierarchy says there's an order here. And as that order increases, so does authority, right? So let's list the order. Can you name it with me? Let's put it in hierarchy. First of all, there's two priesthoods, right? And is there a hierarchy among the two priesthoods? Yes. Which priesthood is lower? Which priesthood is lower in the hierarchy? Aaronic. You can yell it out. Aaronic, right? And then the higher priesthood is Melchizedek. So give me the hierarchy in the Aaronic priesthood. At the very lowest, the first office to which you are typically ordained in the Aaronic priesthood is those blessed deacons. Love them to death. Oh, the world of being a deacon. So here they are. They hold an office in the priesthood. And they are deacons. Above the deacons, who would preside over a deacon? Teachers. And above a the teacher, the priests. Now there's one more. There are one more. Elders up here under Melchizedek. There is one more office in the Aaronic priesthood. Now, let me just show you this. The Salt Lake Temple. Oh, wait, I want this one. Nope, which one is it? Come on, there it is, Salt Lake Temple. The Salt Lake Temple, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, the east side represents the Melchizedek priesthood, the west side represents the Aaronic priesthood. How many windows are there in the west side, four windows, four offices. How many offices are in the Melchizedek priesthood? Five offices. The temple was designed to represent the five offices of the Melchizedek priesthood and the four offices of the Aaronic. Notice that blank? They left that blank because there isn't a fifth office in the, Mel in the Aaronic priesthood. So what is the fourth office in the Aaronic priesthood? It is bishop. That is, in fact, an office of the Aaronic priesthood. Now, in order to hold that office, if all you hold is the Aaronic priesthood, in order to be a bishop, you have to be a direct descendant of Aaron. But since we're not direct descendants of Aaron, that's why we have Melchizedek priesthood. I can, I can officiate in the office of a bishop because I hold the Melchizedek priesthood. And hierarchically, that would be below. But alone... You have to be a direct descendant of Aaron. Those are the, five, the four offices of the Aaronic priesthood. Now let's do Melchizedek. Now this is where it's a little weird because one of the five is not hierarchical. The other four are hierarchical. So let me put the fifth one out here. But let's go lowest to highest in the hierarchy. What's the low? And I hate to say lowest, but again, what's the lowest office? in the Melchizedek priesthood. 
Tell me you know. Elder. Right? Raise your hand if you hold the office of elder. Got a handful of elders in here. That's Aaronic priesthood office. Now, what would be next in the hierarchy? High priest. Your bishop is a high priest. Your stake president is a high priest. And they are, they hold the office. My, the office I hold, I am a high priest. I don't exercise that office because I'm not in a church leadership position. You don't have to be a high priest to be a primary music leader. And that's what I am. But the office I hold is high priest. Now, hierarchically, who would be higher than a high priest? They come around once in a while and they visit our stakes and they preside. They are the 70. That is an office in the priesthood. They are ordained to the office of 70. And what is the highest office in the, Iran the Melchizedek priesthood? What office does President Nelson hold? There is no office of president. That's his calling. His church calling is president of the church. What's the office in the priesthood that he holds? Apostle. President Nelson is, can you be an apostle and not in the Quorum of the Twelve? You think that's possible? Yes. You can hold the office of apostle and not be in the Quorum of the Twelve. That's happened a couple times in church history. We don't typically do that today. There are 15 people who hold the office of apostle, and there are 15 people in the First Presidency in the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. That's the hierarchy. Now, one office in the Melchizedek Priesthood is not hierarchical. And that is patriarch. That is an office in the priesthood because it serves a specific function. And it gets a little awkward because stake presidents are in charge of setting their patriarch apart. And they don't even hold that office. But they hold the Melchizedek priesthood, which contains all offices. Now, if you don't hold the office of patriarch, can you exercise the office of patriarch. You can't. I taught four of President Nelson's grandchildren in seminary. I asked every one of them, who gave you your patriarchal blessing? Guess who gave them their patriarchal blessing? Not their grandfather. He was an apostle at the time. None of them got their patriarchal blessing from their grandfather. Because why? He doesn't hold the office of patriarch. So those are the offices of the priesthood. Now, my bishop, who is both a high, Melchizedek priesthood high priest, and he's the bishop of the ward, he presides in my ward. Now, who presides? Who would preside? Well, we'll do that in a second. But anytime someone holding the office of a 70 steps into the room, he would preside over a high priest. 70 is hierarchically higher than high priest. An apostle is hierarchically higher than. Not only that, but when you're ordained to the Quorum of the Twelve Apostle, you come in in a hierarchical order. What makes President Nelson the senior ranking member of the church? He's the oldest member of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. Have you ever watched them leave the conference center? How do they leave? In order, right? David Bednar would never leave the conference center until... 
Everyone with hierarchical authority over him has left. And then he would leave. So very, very sensitive to the hierarchy. So now let's do this. I want to, I'm going to do it this way. Let's talk about four words. Office, which we've done. Offices in the priesthood are hierarchical because this is a hierarchical priesthood. So now let's talk about the word keys. Let's just do singular, key. Can anyone tell me what is a key in the priesthood? Anyone want to make an attempt to describe what a key is? I hold the office of high priest. Do I hold any keys? Yes or no? Kind of. It's not quite the ability to perform. I can baptize my son. I have the authority to baptize my son. I can perform the baptism. But that doesn't mean anytime I want, I can fill the fawn and go baptize a child. Because what do I lack? I can perform the act, but what do I lack? Directive. The power to direct. Those are the keys. You hold a key when you can direct the exercise of priesthood authority. So who do we typically give the key to? The president of each one of these. There is a senior deacon. And even though all the deacons have the authority to pass the sacrament, none of them can pass the sacrament until what happens? You can't just walk over and say, I'm, I'm number one. You have, the, you have the authority to pass the sacrament, but you don't have the assignment or the permission until a key holder assigns you. That keeps order in the church. So here's the funny thing. Here's the deacon's quorum on Sunday. There's usually two adults in the room, right? And a handful of 12-year-olds, 13-year-olds. Who's in charge in that room? Who's in charge in that room? None of the adults. Who's in charge in that room? The deacon key holder, who's the president of the deacon's quorum. He has the keys. And same thing with the teacher's quorum. Same thing with the priest's quorum. Who is the president of the priest's quorum? The bishop is the president. And so key holders, every president is a key holder. So if you count them up, we have eight typical key holders. So let me show you the hierarchy of the key holders. So every ward has, so let's do ward and we'll do stake level. Every ward has how many key holders? That's a quiz. How many key holders are in my ward? Anyone want to guess? I have five key holders. Good guess. Tell me what your four were. We'll see if we can figure out what's missing. Deacons, teachers. Now, the reason I said you, uh, the reason you said four is because you've combined the bishop 
and the priest, which is technically correct. But theoretically, the bishop holds two key holding positions. He's bishop and presiding high priest. So you're absolutely right, which is why I think four is the right way to say it. One, two, three, and elders quorum president. So every ward has a bishop, and underneath the bishop is a deacon's quorum president, a teacher's quorum president. He is the priest quorum president. Now, elders quorum president is a little odd because the, the, key, the, the presiding high priest would preside over an elder, right? But the bishop would provide, preside underneath. So the elders quorum, who's really in charge of the elders quorum? Who is the next line up from the elders quorum? Technically, it's not the bishop. Technically, it's the stake president. That's kind of an interesting position. So I'm going to put elders quorum president over here. Those are the four. Technically, it's five because he's the presiding high priest. Now, who is the key holder at the stake level? The president of the high priest quorum. The stake only has one high priest quorum. Every high priest in the whole stake belongs to one quorum, and the president of that quorum is the stake president. So the key holder at the stake level is the stake president. But there are two other organizations that are kind of like the stake level. The mission, and who presides over the mission? mission president and the temple who presides over the temple the temple president and technically we're going to throw matron up there because of last week's conversation but in the hierarchy of the church she doesn't necessarily remember this is a church hierarchy not necessarily within the the temple but those are our key holders and then we would have the president of the 70 and the president of the apostleship which kind of breaks down into two. We've got the president of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles and who is the ultimate key holder in all the church? The president of the church, the president of the first presidency. He is the president of all Melchizedek priesthood. So those are the key holders and they're the ones that give direction. Now, this is our next word and that is authority. Authority comes when a key holder gives you direction. The moment a key holder gives you an assignment, you have power to exercise authority. For example, I have the authority to lead the music in the primary. We don't allow strangers to just walk in and lead music. I am the one that has the authority to lead the music in primary. Now, where did I get that? Where did I get that authority? Technically, it came from a woman. I received my authority from a woman. Who is my line authority in my church calling? Primary. The primary president. I love that because I'm a male and who presides over me? A female. 
because I'm a primary chorister and who determines when I stand up and lead the music? Can I just take the prerogative and lead? Hey guys, we're gonna start music right now, so let's start singing. Can I take the prerogative to just start leading the music? When do I start leading the music? When do I exercise my authority? When a key holder, well, let me say it this way. When the person who presides over me gives me permission. Now, where did the primary president's authority come from? A key holder. So a key holder told the primary president, you have authority to run the primary. And she stands up and says, all right, Bri, start leading the music. And that's when I stand up and exercise authority. So you have to hold an office to exercise authority in the office. For, for example, when the priests bless the sacrament, what are they exercising? Authority that comes from their office. When I lead the music, do I need to hold an office to lead the music? Yes or no? That's an easy one. I do not have to hold an office to lead the music, but I do have to have authority. And my authority comes ultimately from a key holder. Do you see how it works in the church? And that's what maintains order. So tell me how I can baptize my son. I will baptize my son, and the act of baptizing him is an exercise of? Yeah, I'm going to exercise authority, but the authority to baptize my son really comes from? my office. I am exercising the office of priest when I baptize him, but who gives me the okay to do so? A key holder. When the key holder says, you have my permission to baptize your son, I can now exercise my office, which gives me the authority to do so. Could my wife baptize my son? If the bishop said, Jennifer, you have permission to baptize your son, could she baptize my son? Why not? She doesn't hold the office that allows her to exercise that particular authority. But if the bishop says, Jennifer, I want you to speak in church, what would she exercise when she stood at the pulpit? What would my wife exercise as she stood at the pulpit to speak? Priesthood authority. My wife is exercising priesthood authority. Now, where did she get permission to exercise priesthood authority? The key holder. The assignment came from a key holder. Do you see how it works? Okay, so a little quiz. On a typical Sunday, give me two examples of exercising an office. On a typical Sunday, give me two examples of exercising an office. Okay? The priest blessing the sacrament. Give me another one. Okay, so the bishop presiding over the meeting is exercising his office. Now, technically... Could the person who stood up and do that be a non-bishopric member? I think so. And so it wouldn't necessarily have to be an office holder to do that. But 
on a percentage, if I were to do a graph and say, here is the exercise of authority on a typical Sunday, how much of that pie is office authority? Very, very small. The vast majority of priesthood that's being exercised on a typical Sunday is what form? Authority that comes from an assignment. A key holder giving an assignment. So me leading the music. What am I exercising? Priesthood authority. Because a key holder gave an assignment. Now, is there something that comes with the authority of the priesthood? Is there help? Is there, is there something? When my wife stands up, to speak in church at the request of the keyholder, is she entitled to divine help in the priesthood to fulfill that assignment? You better believe she is. And I think that's what President Nelson is saying is we do not exercise our privileges. Somehow we think that the only exercise of priesthood at church is that little sliver right there. That is such a small percentage of the exercise of the priesthood. Every single one of you that is fulfilling an assignment, Macy's going on a mission. By what authority will she preach the gospel as a missionary? There is no other authority than priesthood authority. Now, can any old person just go out and preach the gospel as a full-time missionary appointed to that task? No, you have to have authority to do it. Where is she going to get her authority? Uh, first of all, it's going to start with a stake president who's going to set her apart as a missionary. And as of that moment, she can exercise the authority of a missionary. Then she's going to go to a mission, and which assignment is she going to receive? A mission president, another key holder, is going to say, I want you to go to that area and preach the gospel. And when she knocks on that door, is there something with her? Is there help should she expect heaven's help as a missionary? Now, those of you who've come home from a mission, you feel it. You feel when the authority is no longer yours. It's like I had wings and they got clipped. I felt the loss of authority. I am no longer an authorized missionary. Heaven is not helping me like it was. And she should expect heaven's help, shouldn't she? Because when you exercise authority, there is help involved. Charlie. Two scenarios. One, if someone in the church wants to serve in the temple, are they given an office or are they given authority from the key? Just the stake president. Okay. The stake president sets them apart as a temple worker. And then they go in and the temple president gives them the assignments. Okay. So, yes. It's not an office. It's an, it's an assignment. Yeah. So assistant to the president isn't an office in the hierarchy, is it? 
they gain more assignment. So you have the assignment as an assistant. Now let's suppose the assistant is a doofus and I stand up in zone conference and say, we're not gonna do that, we're gonna do this. I'm out of order, right? I'm out of the hierarchy because his assignment gives him hierarchical authority over me. That makes sense? But both of us are exercising what office? Which really isn't true because she doesn't hold the office of an elder and she's a missionary. Now, we're missing a word. Do you see how authority works? Authority comes when a key holder gives you an assignment. Now, either you're going to exercise the office like the priesthood, like the sacrament, or you're simply exercising authority out of an assignment. But you should demand and expect heaven's help because you have authority in the priesthood to do it. There should be a confidence that comes over Macy, shouldn't there? There should be a, a, um, a feeling of authority that comes into her heart when hands are laid on her head and she is set apart as a missionary. Claim that privilege. But what word is missing? What was the other thing President Nelson said we don't claim our privilege in? Power. Now, I think it's clear to have power in the priesthood, you have to be exercising authority. But not every exercise of authority has power. I've listened to a lot of conference, I've listened to a lot of sacrament meeting speakers in my lifetime. All of them are exercising authority. Not all of them exercise power. But have you ever listened to someone speak in church with power? I've heard a lot of sacrament prayers. Every deacon who is, every teacher, every priest who is blessing the sacrament is exercising authority, but not all of them have power. Have you ever heard the sacrament blessed with power and it moves you? What is priesthood power and where does it come from? Let's turn to section, I'd, I'd invite you to do this. Turn to section 121 because I think you need to see this in print. Section 121, that great section about many are called but few are chosen. And why are they not chosen? because they haven't learned the great lesson of priesthood power. And may I suggest the same is true today. We have, so many of us in the church have not learned the great lesson. So let's pick it up. Why are they not chosen? Verse 35, oh, did I lose? Now those are the obstacles, but that's not the lesson. Those are the obstacles to learning the lesson. Don't mistake the obstacles for the lesson you need to learn. Keep reading. Why are they... Sorry, let me get to... Hold on. Okay, why are they not chosen? Many are, few, many are called, but few are chosen. And I think what it's saying is many have authority, but not many exercise power. I want Macy to be a powerful missionary. Every missionary is going to have authority, but whether or not that young woman has power 
really has nothing to do with her assignment because everyone has authority. Many are called, many have authority, but not many have power. Now, why don't they have power? Their hearts are set upon the things of the world. They aspire, they worry too much about what people think and their hearts are filled with worldly things that they do not learn this one lesson. What is the lesson? What is the lesson President Nelson is begging us to learn? That power in the priesthood comes from where? Where does it come? Righteousness. Power in the priesthood comes from righteousness. Not from an office. Not from an assignment. Now, you need to hold an office. There's no way I can have power to baptize if I'm not holding an office. There's no way I can have power at the podium when I speak if I don't have authority from the bishop to speak. But whether or not I have power doesn't come from my office or from my authority. Power comes from my righteousness. If you are righteous, what can you claim? The power of heaven. Power comes from righteousness. Macy will have power as a missionary if she lives righteously. If she doesn't, she loses that power. She may have authority, but she doesn't have power. A lot of people have authority, but they don't have power because they don't live righteously. Power comes from righteousness. Now, let me give you my, my testimony. Here's my testimony. Quite often when a child gets sick, and let's say it's a single mom. Let's say this, the child of a single mom gets sick. And she wants a blessing to that child. Now, who's she going to call? She's going to call key holders. Or sorry, she's going to call office holders. Can, she, can her home teacher, can her, can her ministers come over and give the child a blessing? And they're going to lay their hands upon the child's head and exercise authority, right? But I believe more often than not, what brings the miracle wasn't the authority that the elders held, but the power of that mother. I think she went through the formality of having the blessing being given, but the miracle that healed that child more often than not, came from the mom. Who exercised what? Power. In the early days of the church, women gave blessings. Now, we don't, we don't, we don't follow that practice today, but what if we did? What if my wife laid her hands upon one of our children in a moment of sickness and blessed them. Now, would she say by the authority of the Melchizedek priesthood? 
No, because she doesn't hold an office in the Melchizedek priesthood. But could she legitimately say, by the power of the priesthood, based on my righteousness, I call down a blessing upon this child? Could she do that? Should she do that? Well, should she? I don't know that we'll encourage her to lay the hands on the child because sometimes that sends the wrong message to people who don't understand. But do you understand that the miracle, the power of the blessing is not limited to the office holders? Do women exercise power in the priesthood? Can they? Do they have access to the powers of heaven even though they don't hold an office? Now, those who do hold an office, can they hold that office and exercise that authority with power? But does it come from the office? It comes from their righteousness. I hope whatever you do in the church, you do with power. I want to teach with power. Now, I teach under the authority of the priesthood. I teach because somewhere back here, a key holder gave my whole department permission to teach the gospel. And we exercise the authority that he gave us. And women do it, so it doesn't have to be an office. But we as institute teachers exercise authority that came from a key holder like any other exercise. But I want to teach with power, not just authority, which means I better live the principles of the gospel. Power comes from righteous living. Whatever you do in the church, I would pray that you do it with power. Now, my last thought, going back to last week's conversation, what is the greatest exercise of priesthood authority that we do on this earth? It's in the home. And I would hope of all the places that I have power in the priesthood, it's in my home. I would like the power of the priesthood to rest over my family, keep them safe, comforted, and at peace. And I believe that blessing will come over my family if the mom and the dad in that family live worthy of that. Do you see the privilege that is ours? the help, the authority, the power, heaven's help to do what we've been asked to do. Claim that privilege, but more than anything else, claim the power of it by living righteously. And I say that in the name of Jesus Christ, amen.